Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Anyone who has decided to make a career of being a musician is all too familiar with the ups and downs that come with it. And this has never been more evident than right now in this current pandemic crisis. Musicians are finding themselves having to adapt and adjust while COVID-19 remains a problem. And we've been doing this in a lot of different ways. Music teachers have switched to distance teaching. Music conventions and festivals have either been completely postponed or put online. And some ensembles are working with sound producers to create virtual choirs and ensembles and then posting them up online. All of these things are difficult and somewhat inconvenient. But if any demographic has the grit and adaptability needed to survive in a situation like this, it would be musicians. As musicians, we live in a gig economy, and even in the best of times, job security is not one of the things that we can count on. But the gig economy also gives us a lot of freedom in the way that we can stay with one gig for a while until our life circumstances change or until we find something more in line with where we want to be. And by nature, musicians and other artists are continuously stretching conventions with sound and music and performances to create new experiences and human connections through their art. So we are very adaptable people, passionate, tough, and hardworking, because we have to be in order to make a living as a musician. So to give you all a bit of inspiration and encouragement, I thought it would be fun to share the story of someone who has completely flourished under the idea of change and adaptation during her entire life. And I am speaking of the incredible Amber Brooke, who is a coloratura soprano. Her passion for music and performing has shaped her entire life, taking her all across the world and back again. She's an amazing musician and has the charisma and grit to match her passion for music. There is one thing I want you to know before we start this interview. I spoke with Amber before all of this COVID-19 was even on anyone's radar, and it's been really interesting to me to listen to this interview and to see just how much life has changed in a few short weeks and months. But as I listen to her story, I get inspired by her imagination and her determination to take life head on and how she fits being a musician into the life that she has made and chosen for herself. So I hope you enjoy it. My name is Amber Brooke. I am a coloratura soprano, which is the highest and lightest of the sopranos. goes all the way from mezzo-soprano um, all the way up to coloratura. So supposedly I can hit the, the highest notes of any soprano. And um, we're known for our very fast runs going up and down. And my favorite composers who, who wrote for that genre were definitely the, the French composers um, from uh, like the 1800s because they, they really got into coloratura music and, and wrote, you know, seven and eight minute coloratura songs. So those are fun to sing. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> no, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, um, I would much rather sing opera than listen to it. <laughs> and, and I think that's a bit why I started singing opera is because I really enjoy singing opera. And I also sing a lot of, of musical theater too and love it. But, um, 
but I, I started singing opera just because I could more than anything else. And that, I guess that started back in high school, really. I didn't start taking voice lessons until I was 16, which I guess now would be considered kind of late. I lived in Columbus, Georgia, a little town. And this sweet lady just started me singing the 24 Italian songs and arias we've all sung before. So, um, yeah, I know that one. Well. Yeah, you know that one. <laughs> and, um, and I can still uh, pop those off because I, I sang them so much at that time and uh, did some, some competitions in high school. Wasn't the top winner every time. I'm very small and I didn't come of age with my voice until rather late. So even when I went off to college, I was still a very small soprano and my voice was um, comparatively snow white. My teachers were trying to train the fast vibrato out of, out of my voice as quickly as possible. Um, but I, I was lucky. I had good teachers. And uh, even though my, my first teacher in college was, um, was a huge soprano, uh, and voc- vocally, I mean, not physically. <laughs> <laughs> and she, um, but she knew better than to, than to try to make me be a dramatic soprano. And so she, she did some good training there. And then I, uh, I transferred to a different college and my teacher there just took it really easy with me. I think she realized that I was just getting a degree at that point and that my voice was not going to really mature until later. And it was when I was uh, at college that uh, another teacher actually told me that I would never be an opera singer, that my voice was too small, that I was too small, that, that it, I just, it just wasn't going to work for me and I better find a different, a different career. Um, how, how far into college were you when that happened? I was a junior in college when that happened. Oh my goodness. And it was okay because when I transferred, uh, colleges, my first college was very, very small and I was a vocal performance major there because there was no, nothing else to be in music. And, um, when I got out to my second college, it was much, much bigger and, And there they had a huge musical theater department. And I was just absolutely enamored immediately with this musical theater department. And I went to my counselor and said, I'm going to, I'm going to transfer to the musical theater department and change my major. And she said, Oh, great. Let's look at your transcript. Okay. Well, you've got all of your music classes covered. I think you actually, you don't, you wouldn't need any more music classes to do that. Uh, But you're be, you'd be starting as a freshman in your dance and theater classes. So it's going to take you about four to five more years to finish your degree. <laughs> and I said, well, and you're a junior and I was a junior at this point and I, and, I, and on scholarship and I only had two years of scholarship. So I was paying for college all myself and had to have scholarships to get through. Yeah. So I said, well, that is fabulous. I'm going to go be a vocal performance major. Thank you for your time. <laughs> and I never did an opera while I was there. Um, I took voice lessons and I played in the musical theater department. Uh, I was a TA for the pop belt class, not the classical voice students. And um, yeah, so I just did as much musical theater as I possibly could while I was there. And when I graduated, my first job out of college was at Sundance Summer Theater uh, doing musical theater of all things. <laughs> so you were an opera singer, moonlighting. Moonlighting, as- <laughs> yes, that's the word. Musical theater just really appealed to me, especially at that time when I was so young and my voice wasn't developed and so forth. So after I left there, I came, uh, I came back to Georgia. I was living in the Atlanta area and I went to work for Six Flags over Georgia 
singing in the um, Remember When Drive-In. And doing, oh, did you really? I really, really did. And I was loving it. That's what I wanted to do. I was absolutely living my dream. I wanted to work in, in theme parks. I wanted to work on cruise ships. It was a little bit difficult for me to, to break into theme parks because my singing voice is a little bit classical for that for that style, certainly. But I did. I got a job there and I worked for a year um, at Six Flags. And then the second year I was I was here, I, I went to work for the Savoyards Light Opera Company. And uh, I did three light operas that year. I played Cupid in Orpheus and Eurydice. What is the name of that show? <laughs> I was Cupid and I was adorable. But again, I was still very small and I was, my voice was very small and, and not fully developed yet. Um, and after that, I was day jobbing at Coca-Cola and singing at night with Savoy's Light Opera Company. I uh, had a day job with Coca-Cola. This was a time when the Summer Olympics were here in Atlanta. And um, so I was working in the Olympics department and that was a temporary nine month job because mm-hmm. obviously the, the Olympics were going to move on somewhere else. So um, I had applied to work on cruise ships. Well, so that's, that's an interesting question. So how does one even go mm-hmm. about applying or auditioning to work on a cruise ship? That seems so out of the ordinary. So it's very different now than it was uh, you know, 25 years ago uh-huh. when I did that. Now I put together a VHS tape of me singing some different things and some clips of things that I had done. VHS. Um, VHS. And I'm sure <laughs> that it was horrible uh, quality, you know, and I was, I had to you know, cut and splice and use a, use two VHS machines to record one to the other, you know, that kind of thing. Oh my goodness. I remember doing that. Oh yeah. So, um, and I sent that to, uh, an entertainment company that booked entertainers onto the cruise lines. And, uh, that was Peter Terhune presents. I don't think they're in business anymore. And I was calling and going, you know, I'm getting a little stressed because my job's running out. And, um, and they were like, well, sorry, I, went on a mission for my church. I went to Ukraine and um, my mission president gave me permission to use my talents to get the word out about the church in the area. We were brand new there. So, so we were just, just starting our mission work there. And um, so, yeah, so I, I hooked up with a piano player there who was, who was fabulous and love him. And um, uh, so I did some classical pieces and I did some musical theater pieces and I even did Ma, he's making eyes at me. I totally remember that, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious, but he loved it. And um, yeah, and we went around putting on concerts. So I spent a year and a half doing that. I learned to speak Ukrainian and then I returned to the United States having felt like I had traveled the world and seen the world, you know, and about three weeks before I came back from Ukraine, my mom called me over in Ukraine and said, um, somebody named Peter Terhune has been trying to reach you and they're calling me. And (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? I was so excited. And she said, yeah, they said, um, I told them that you're in Ukraine and they said that they have a ship that's leaving in five weeks if you can be there. And, I said, well, that's perfect. I'm coming home in three weeks. I'll spend a couple of weeks at home and then I'll go get on a ship. This is, this is absolutely perfect. And it really couldn't have been more perfect. It lined up so beautifully. So, uh, so I came home and I spent a couple of weeks at home 
uh, trying to reacclimate to normal life and um, <laughs> which is difficult and remembering, you know, that there's more than Veronica in the world <laughs> to eat and beets, you know, there are other, there are other things besides beets and cabbage. And, um, <laughs> and then, um, I went down to, uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida for a month and did rehearsals and lo and behold, there I was on a, on a cruise ship singing and dancing. And again, dream come true. Just loved it. Loved every minute of it. So what was a typical day for you working on the cruise? Ship? Um, so I was on a ship where, uh, we had cruise duties as well. So we acted as cruise staff as well as the entertainment. It was a seven day cruise. We started in Jamaica, went around the Caribbean and back to Jamaica. I mean, there was a weekly schedule. And so each day, um, throughout the day I would go, uh, MC napkin folding or, uh, horse racing or bingo or <laughs> wow. karaoke. <laughs> and, um, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. I had, I was having so much fun. And then that does sound like a fun job. It was really fun. Um, and then at night we would go do two shows, you know, one for the early crowd and one for the late crowd. Mm-hmm. Then, um, and that was it. Were these opera shows or were these more musical theater More musical theater, yes. Yes. Uh One was um, called Icaramba. It was a Caribbean music show. And one was um, Jukebox Magic was 50s and 60s, some 40s, I guess, Mm -hmm. but mostly 50s and 60s. You know, costume changes every three minutes and high heels and feather packs and a band backing you up, lighting. It's a lot of fun. Oh, how fun. It was a lot of fun. And it was good to um to have a steady job. And and some people yes. some people say, you know, oh, don't you get sick of doing the same show over and over again? I mean, yes, you do, but I love live theater because it's always different. Even though it's the same music, mm-hmm. the same choreography, the same blocking every time, it's different every time. And you just Mm -hmm. never know what's going to happen. And especially on a ship because you're at the mercy of weather as well. And the ship I was on was a pretty small ship. And so we really felt the waves. Yep. And so um, during hurricane season, when the weather was quite rough and the waves were quite, you know, quite strong, um, (laughs) we had a couple of shows where we were unable to do the choreography. It would have been unsafe to do the choreography. And we called those pole shows because there were, the stage had four poles on it Uh and there were four singers. (laughs) I was the soprano. There was an alto, a tenor and a bass. We would each grab a pole, take a mic and sing the show. Oh my goodness. Yeah. People's drinks fell off the table and spilled and, and things like that. And, and people were, you know, trying to walk down the aisle and falling to one side or the other. Certainly you could see, you could see that happening. (laughs) So you got a good show out of it too then. Oh, certainly. Yes. And, um, it was a lot of fun. It was really, really a lot of fun. Now, um, it was made even better by the fact that I, uh, I was on the love boat and, um, met my husband on the ship. So my husband was the uh, stage manager for the shows and I was the show captain. So when we first got on the ship, we had to quickly get the lighting cues and the, and all the rehearsals and everything. And so we were spending a couple of hours every, every evening in the, in the theater doing cues and doing things like that. And I was working with him on that. So, um, the one thing about a ship is that every hour seems like a day and every day seems like a month. 
and you're trapped there. You know, it's not like you can run away. Uh-huh. If you, if you uh, have a disagreement or something, you have to work it out because you, you just can't, you can't run away from each other. You're stuck. And mm-hmm. that goes for, you know, castmates and lovers and friends and whatever, you know, you got to, you got to mm-hmm. get along because you're stuck on a ship together for months and months at a time. And we could get off the ship at ports. If we did not have cruise duties on the ship, we were allowed to get off. And they, they actually encouraged us to fraternize with the, with the passengers, which I don't think happens anymore. Um, but we were encouraged to, to do that. So we went on excursions with the, with the passengers and um, went out. And I, so I, I went on every excursion that they offered at some time or another, and, and we could go for free. So if we were wow. going with passengers. So we, uh, every week made good friends with, with some passengers on the ship and went in and were able to eat with them in the dining room and go on excursions with them. And we, we had a, we, it was a lot of fun. We had a really good time. Well, I would think so. So you're traveling the world. Mm-hmm. You had met your husband, your future husband mm-hmm. and you're singing and dancing mm-hmm. with a live band every single night. Can it get any better than that? Right. <laughs> I think not. So why, why on earth did you leave that life? Well, I was working for the entertainment company and he was working for the cruise line and there was no possible way once our contracts were up that we would ever see each other again if we didn't get off the ships. So, um, my husband's from Spain and he had been working for the, for the cruise line for 14 months at that time. And his plan was to leave at the end of this contract and go to Spain in order to, um, to work at a studio in Spain as a recording engineer. And then he was supposed to go at the end of his contract and, and have a job with the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, when our contracts were finished, we got married and we moved to Spain I was totally up for adventure at this point, obviously. And um, we got to Spain and his job was always manana. There was Studio One and then they were supposed to be building Studio Two. And he was supposed to be the recording engineer for Studio Two because there was already a recording engineer for Studio One. And for Uh we were there for three months and for three months, they were kind of throwing him a bone every now and then if the if the recording engineer from studio one was out or was overwhelmed or whatever, they would throw it to Franco and he would be allowed to, to do those jobs. But it, it wasn't really giving us enough income to, to live off of in Spain. It's a little expensive to live there. And however, mm-hmm. when we got there, my husband really, really encouraged me to go back and study voice more, look more into my classical roots as it were. And he had some connections there in Madrid and he, uh, he hooked me up with a fantastic teacher there in Madrid and the, the man hardly spoke any English. I didn't speak any Spanish and we could barely communicate with one another, but I guess the language of music is, is stronger than language barriers. And he really brought me a long, long way in three months it was pretty incredible what he got out of me in three months. <laughs> wow. Um, at the same time, there is, uh, there's a restaurant in Madrid called Casa Fiore and it is singing waiter, waiters and waitresses. Uh, it's opera. And so if you go to, go to eat there, uh, your waiter or waitress will, will get up and sing at some point during the night. I went and auditioned for them and I was very 
vocally weak at the, at that time I hadn't been studying and I hadn't been singing opera for quite some time. So I can mm-hmm. understand that they weren't ready to put me in the rotation. Plus I didn't speak Spanish. So that was kind of down. That's a little, <laughs> that might've had something <laughs> to do. with might've had something to do with it. However, interesting turn of events. The accompanist that worked at Casa Fiore was from none other than Ukraine. No, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. He was from Ukraine. And so the whole time I was there, I would go twice a week and coach with him and we could communicate in Ukrainian. Oh my goodness. Isn't that a small world? (laughs) And what a stroke of luck for me to be able to, to study with a great teacher and be coaching with a great coach who I could communicate with. And I came leaps and bounds vocally during that, that short time. Wow. We then decided that we should probably uh, jump the pond and come back to the United States. And I said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm a peach. I got to go back to Georgia. I just, (laughs) you can't take a peach out of Georgia for too long. No, go bad. So, (laughs) so we moved to Atlanta and long, long, long time before that, I had heard the name Elizabeth Colson. I want to say it was my first college teacher who told me about her and said she's the premier coloratura teacher in the whole Southeast. If you ever can study with her, you'd, you'd be good to do that. So I contacted her and went and auditioned for her and got into her studio. And I studied with Betty for four years. During that time, I I did some competitions and auditions. Mm -hmm. So I just kept studying, kept working. Uh, There's a local company called Capital City Opera Company. And I auditioned for them and was cast as my first lead role with them. Can you like walk us through the audition process, how you start the audition to how you end up with the lead role? (laughs) Um, Well, for auditioning, I mean, obviously you're just going to fully prepare a piece um, and then you just go in and sing the piece for them and hope for the best. And it's kind of a, don't call us, we'll call you situation. Oh, so they didn't have like a callback or anything. It was just one audition audition and and that was it. They, they judge you from that, that one song. Some auditions that I've gone to, you usually have three to five arias prepared and you choose one and then they choose one. Mm-hmm. But I want to say for that one, I just chose an aria and sang it. Uh, but they they judged me on my voice and my acting at that time. And they took a chance on me and cast me in the lead. I, I've never heard any complaints from them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would have told you something. I'm sure that they would have never cast me again, but they did. Right. <laughs> um, I played Abigail Williams in the, in the Crucible. And that is some hard music, let me tell you. But it but so, oh, such a good show. I, I did several other roles with them through the years. Um, and I also was singing with their educational outreach program. I ended up doing that for 19 years. So wow. um, I've just put in my, my resignation for that um, and said, I think I'm going to move on now. But yeah, I've been singing with that for 19 years. A well-deserved break. (laughs) I'm on to other things, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell the story about when you performed for the composer? Oh, yes. So that was with Capital City Opera Company, who mainly does um, 20th century English operas, which I like. 
and mm-hmm. um, I like to sing in English and French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the composer, uh, Kirk Meekum, wrote Tartuffe, and, and I was playing Doreen in Tartuffe, and he came and attended one of the rehearsals and a performance. And so we did get to meet him and talk to him about his vision for the, for the show, um, his inspirations, you know, it was really, it was really neat to get to, to sit and talk with him for a little while and to, um, to have him sign my, my score, of course. And yes. um, yeah, so he was, he was very, very encouraging. Oh, yeah. good. So he was very gracious. He really and- was. He really was. He gave us some, some tips on things that he would like to see in this particular show. And, and we tried to, of course, take all of his comments to heart because it's his vision to begin with. Oh, that must have been amazing. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that when you're performing, was it kind of like, were you thinking in your head, oh, this is incredible that I get to share this with the composer? Or was it, oh my goodness, the composers out there don't <laughs> mess this up? Maybe a little of both. <laughs> I, I think I, I certainly was very nervous to perform in front of him. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it was it was like um, kind of a thrill to get to bring his oh, work yeah. to life and to uh, to show him what it mean what it meant to us for him to have written that. Yes. So hopefully that made him feel good and helped him to, I'm sure. to feel an accomplishment as well. Oh, I'm sure it did. What is next for you? What is your next plans? So for the last five years, I have been running a company called Little Actors Studio, which is a children's theater company. Uh, I'm back to musical theater. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm combining everything I love, musical theater, children, uh, choreography, uh, direction. So now it's my vision that I get to put on oh, stage. Okay. Um, certainly, you know, with little ones, it's, you kind of get what you get sometimes. Um, so I can't, sometimes things don't happen as they would in my head, but, um, but I love them and, and I take what they can give me, you know, and I try to, Mm -hmm. I try to bring out, uh, the best from that each child has to give. And my dream for that is just to, um, to grow. I'm at one elementary school right now and I'm, busting at the seams there. Um, I have a wait list to get in every, every year now. So that feels successful. That feels accomplished. We're having a really good time putting the show together and oh, those lucky kids <laughs> I get to work with you. Uh, I'm the lucky one. They're great. I think overall, I just like to keep reaching out to more children and affecting their lives. And I just know, I know from my experience because I've been doing musical theater since I was eight years old and I know that I don't remember my teachers' names. I don't remember my friends' names in in school from elementary school. I I don't remember where I lived. I don't remember anything. But I remember every single play I was in. And I remember the costumes that I wore. (laughs) Kids always love the costumes. (laughs) Yes. So, um, So I know that what I'm doing is having a lifelong effect on these kids. It's growing their confidence. Um... And I mean, just, just the bravery to see them have the courage to stand up on stage and, and share something with the audience is just, it's lovely to me. Uh, so I have a group called the reminiscence and, um, basically it's just me and another singer and we go to retirement homes and we share, 
uh, we sing the oldies in two-part harmony to uh, to the elderly. So my um, my key demographic is the newly born and the nearly dead. <laughs> <laughs> And I love every minute of it. And Christine has been going with me as my accompanist, thankfully. I am so grateful to her for for being willing to reach out to the elderly and to do this, um, this mission that we have now to, to reach them because music is a language all its own and can speak to um, those with Alzheimer's, with dementia, uh, with even even just who are aging, um, music speaks to every heart, and so so Christine has helped me to to go and uh, and share opera with them, which keeps me singing opera. And I would I would be completely quitting singing opera at all if it weren't for Christine. So thank you, Christine, for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so so it's so much fun to perform with you. So it, much fun. It's I a lot it. of fun when we get together. I love it. it. Is. We always have a great time. We do. No matter what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and it does happen. <laughs> but I just love your story. I just, whenever I hear your story, I'm just so inspired because there are so many times where I would think, oh, okay, well, yeah, I would just go and find a new profession. And you just, with so much grace and so much excitement and vivacity, just tackle it. And you just, with a big smile on your face, you just <laughs> move on to the next thing and you love it. And I just, oh, I just love you. I just, I'm so happy well, that you shared your story. I can't ever doing anything else. And so, uh, so I have, I have to do it or die. <laughs> die trying anyway. <laughs> but I'm very, very happy with where I'm at. And I definitely would not I, I wouldn't do it differently. I would I would choose music every time. And I have to give a shout out to my husband because I couldn't do it without him. That's for sure. I have to give him the big shout out for allowing me to pursue everything I want to do. He's very, very yes. supportive. Absolutely. He's wonderful. But thank you so much to Amber Brooke for talking with us. You're the best. Oh, no, you are. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smithstown Music. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith. A very special thanks to Amber Brooke for sharing her time and inspiring story with us. As you may have guessed, many of Amber's projects and programs have had to be temporarily shut down due to COVID-19, but that has not stopped her from performing in the least. She still regularly streams live performances on her Reminiscence social media pages. So if you are looking for a ray of sunshine and optimism, and of course, gorgeous singing in your day, you can find it there. The music that you've heard in today's podcast are selections from Hermit Songs by Samuel Barber. The texts for these pieces are based on a collection of anonymous poems about daily life written by monks and scholars from the 8th to 13th centuries. I added them because hermit songs just seem so applicable to the state of the world right now. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If there is a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you have any tips on how you've been adapting during these past few months, come and chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much. Oh
rejoice when my mind fathoms a problem. Please read this or not, neither hinders the Oh, happy.